All right, so no, what we're gonna discuss a little bit, just a little, little bit, is the statement out of Colossians 1, 3, and 4, or 2, 3, and 4, which is um, that uh, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ, right? So you, this was a discussion I had with a few people this week, and Beth was like, we should be recording this. So I was like, well, maybe I'll start with that and we'll see if I ever make it to First John. But, but um, because this is more of a discussion as a walk, through, a walk through the Bible. When you understand, you've often heard me say, when you understand the Christ, if you really understand the concept of the word, the Christ, then you will understand every, all the mysteries the hidden mysteries and treasures of wisdom. So you have to go, okay, what is this? What does that mean? Right? People say, well, let's understand the gospel. Well, yes and no. Understanding the concept or the term Christ. To me, in my mind, I just know what I'm talking about. So when I say that, I think, yeah, you know, you guys know. So I'll give you a little walkthrough and then maybe eventually, maybe one day we'll do a longer discussion on it. But the word Christ is the same word as Messiah in Hebrew. It just means anointed one, right? Everybody know that already? Pretty much. So Messiah means anointed one. It could be used as a verb. The person was anointed. He was Messiahed. Um, you were Christ. That is to say, you know, you were, you were anointed. So if you use the word anointed, it's often the word for Christ. If you're using the word for Messiah, it's most often used for Christ. I remember when David was anointed by Samuel, or uh, um, yeah, Samuel, he was, he was Messiah, right? So the concept of Messiah or anointed one is a very thing, important thing to understand because in the Old Testament, it meant something different in general in various contexts than it does in the New, right? As far as the, the implications. In the Old Testament, the word anointed would be you would, primarily three offices, you were anointed. You were anointed as a priest, as a king, and as a prophet, right? Anybody know the city where the prophets lived in the Old Testament? Ramah, remember? The city of Ramah where, in, anyway, the kings where they murdered all the prophets who lived in Ramah. You know what the, you know what the word for word is in Hebrew? Ramah. It's the word word. They lived in the place where the word was the city of the word. The city of the prophets was the place called the word. Anyway, side note means not to the point to the discussion. But nonetheless, there was an office and there was a city literally where prophets went and were sort of nurtured there. A lot of more born there. Came out of there. And so you were anointed, and so you could be, by the law, again, I'm not going to reference everything. We're just going to talk for a second. By the law, you could be a prophet and a priest, but you could not be a priest and a king. You could be a king and a prophet, but you could not be a king and a priest, right? That was illegal. And the reason why it was illegal was because the Christ of Aaron's priesthood was not the one of Jesus who would be the anointed one, not a anointed one. There were many 
anointed ones. We are anointed ones, right? But there's only the anointed one who was the prophet, the priest, and the king. That was illegal in the Old Testament. Jesus did not come in the anointed one ship of Aaron's design, right? So who was Aaron's anointed one based upon? Huh? You all know. Satan. He was anointed. He was the what? Anointed cherub. Right? He was the Messiah cherub over the law with the ephod implanted in his very chest. And Aaron took on that mimicking. Right? But who did Christ get anointed in the likeness of? Melchizedek or Melchizedek. He was also an anointed one before there was an Israel, right? He was God's prophet, priest, and king. Primarily noticed as a king and a priest, but he was obviously a prophet as well. Now, in the order, the order would mean in the covenant or the or the occupation, you know, the, the office of Melchizedek would be the order of, right? The established occupational parameter of God's representative on earth, an order, that's what Christ came in, that particular order. One that could incorporate a prophet, priest, king, ship. Now, he was, a, how is, he, he was anointed like Moses at, in what way? There will be a prophet who comes in the future like you, Moses, right? Moses was a unique prophet. He was unique because he was a covenant prophet. There was only one. Jesus was the second one. So he was anointed like Moses. Moses was anointed as a covenant prophet. He was Messiahed as a covenant prophet. Now, the first place we see the Christ mentioned in the historical timeline is when? From the teaching. Before the foundation of the earth, right? Before the world was made, Christ was crucified then. So when you understand that, okay, so everything revolves around Christ needing to be crucified. At some point, after we make stuff and implement this thing. So before the earth was made, before everything was made, the design and the, was designed around the Messiah. So that's why all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. Because when you understand that he was crucified before the foundation of the world, now you understand there is now going to be put in place in history a theme concerning the Messiah and a different Messiah who's going to kill that Messiah so as to nullify the Messiah who killed him. Right? So now you have the war of the Messiahs. Right? They're going on. And so the one Messiah, we learn first that he's going to die before the foundation of the earth. That was planned. So from the scriptures, we look and say, okay. Secondly, we see that this Messiah was going to be a covenant Messiah or going to be a covenant anointed one like Moses. So he's going to bring in a new covenant. So we see his prophet anointing by God in Deuteronomy 18, right? 
So then later on, you see the Davidic promise, right? So that's in, of course, from Jesus' words in, in, in David and, and in 2 Samuel, you see, uh, I think it's seven or whatnot, you see the discussion on his kingdom will be in the line of David, right? The promise of the anointed one will be off, off, also a king. So you're looking at this theme. He's going to be crucified for the foundation of the world. You see that he's going to be one who comes in the, in the, the prophetic nature or the prophet, representative prophet as Moses was, unique to him like Moses who was a covenant prophet. So we know he'll be a covenant prophet. We know that he's going to be a king. So we get that information, right? And so that's very important. And his, he's going to, as David was anointed as a king, but died. Solomon was anointed as a king, but died. So there needed to be somebody who could be a perpetual king or eternal king. And he needed to be what? Melchizedek, right? Mel means king, and Kazadik is the word for righteousness in Hebrew. And Salim, or which where we get Jerusalem from, is peace. So you have a righteous king over a city of peace. Well, David was a righteous king, right? He wasn't very peaceful, but he was righteous. And his job wasn't to be peaceful. It was to conquer and kind of solidify the kingdom. Even though he didn't complete it, he tried to some degree. Solomon was a peaceful kingdom whom everybody got rich and everybody was blessed and the word of God went out from his kingdom and everybody, all the nations were under that umbrella of the word going out and and love passing on and and riches and honor and all this stuff and everybody's getting wealthy from Solomon everybody's integrating with Solomon. So that was a picture of the Christ. He was going to be a righteous king like David's and a peaceful king like Solomon's. Gold, wealth, riches, and all the world is blessed by the light of the Solomonic kingdom, right? So he's going to be a king of righteousness over a city of peace. And where do we find his next anointing, which is, in, I think it's what, Psalm 51, where I think that's the Melchizedek passage, if I'm not mistaken. I get it mixed in my head, but I think it's Psalm 51. So where it says in the Old Testament that I have said, and it is established that you will be a priest in the order of Melchizedek, Melchizedek. So we did the third anointing of the Christ. In the Old Testament, you see his prophetic anointing, like Moses, covenant. You see his, his kingship anointing is going to be like David and Solomon combined. Not like David only, not like Solomon only, but David and Solomon. Their kingdom, a kingdom of righteousness and peace. Then you see the final aspect of it where he's going to be a priest in the order of Melchizedek, and he's going to come from the line of David, which was illegal. So this had to be a complete transfer, which would make sense to why he's a covenant prophet like Moses, because it's a whole new covenant. So when you understand that from the Old Testament, the Messiah or the anointed with this concept of flow through it, then you're going to get the idea of understanding what we're leading to. The whole Old Testament is a picture of the future reign of the Messiah. The fact that he came to bring in a new covenant, he gave himself his physical body as the offering, and then he was risen to reign over the earth, which he is Lord and King, not only over Jerusalem, but Jerusalem as the place that rules over the earth. And he now sits there, yet it is not yet visible that he is in that authority. He will come and make his enemies a footstool at his feet at some point. And so... That is the Christ. When you understand that it's more than just saying, oh, the Christ, the gospel. It's like, no, there's 
there's a, th- a theme when he says, if you understand the Christ, then you will understand everything. Because it leads to a clarity on who this person is and how all the messiahships pointed to this guy and how Aaron's messiahship was designed to put to death his messiahship. Right? So, because Satan is the one ultimately that murdered Jesus Christ. I, I wouldn't doubt it if he got into every single person that did every evil act to Jesus and did all the acts himself. It wouldn't be, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't put it past him because he probably, he enjoys it. I know he enjoys it because he's the, he's an angel of death. He's a, he's a representative of that which is righteous. Therefore, as I say, the letter kills with the spirit gives life. He wanted to kill because that, that's his, that was his occupation. And so, um, when you understand the theme of the anointed one, then the Bible becomes quite small. You go, oh yeah, it's, a, it's just a theme that leads right to this great information. Now, we have a new order, right? He's a king, a priest, and a prophet. Well, what are we? He is the prototokos of us. That is to say, he's the prototype. We didn't read it, but in Colossians chapter one, he's the prototokos. He's the prototype of the body. Is there any difference between the prototype and the manufactured piece in theory? Like there might be. The perfected prototype is supposed to be, anyway, the perfect representative of the product. Right? So the prototype is supposed to be the perfect representative of the product because it's the prototype. It's the first. First born among many brethren, right? So he is the prototype, the prototokos. And so we are anointed ones, right? We don't get anointed because the Holy Spirit comes into us. We are anointed because we're made new. And we do have the anointing of the Holy Spirit as well. But that's a different point. That's to help our spirit control our flesh and present it to God. But understanding this is important because it shows you how simple the Bible is. Understanding the anointed one. And now it also communicates to you why we are important and why we are like him. He is the priest. What are we? A holy what in First Peter 1? A holy priesthood, right? He is a king. What are we? Kings to rule and reign with him. We are what kind of priesthood? A royal royal priesthood. We are a priesthood of kings. And this is our ministry. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, 21. A ministry of reconciliation to bring the good news. We are those who profit or to pro, we speak before the peoples. Right? We are the prophets. We are the priests. We are the kings. That's why Ephesians chapter you know, um, 2 at the end where he says uh, he is the head of the body, the one who fills all in every place or does, feel, completes everything in every place. We are special. His anointed ship, if you understand that, then it clarifies everything. And it's a very simple theme. Follow the yellow brick road on the anointed one. And then 
How does that relate to you? Right? Well, spiritually, it relates to us now, and physically and spiritually, or you could say spiritually and spiritually, since he calls your body a spiritual body in the future. Um, spirit, spirit, and spirit physical at some point come together and we get a resurrected body and, and we're good. And we complete our anointedship. Eventually, our body will be made new and therefore it will complete all things as far as the body of Christ is concerned. So anyway, that is hopefully a little bit of helpful little data for you there. Nice little consideration of thinking through the Messiahship. That's what Paul's thinking when he says in Colossians 1 that all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom are hidden in Christ. So to understand the theme and how the Christ is popping up and how the prophet, priest, and the king come together is very important. And um, so I hope that, hope that helps bring some clarity, at least on an elementary level. Does anybody have any questions on that, by the way? Hope. Oh. Or could be... Excuse me? You could be like priest and prophet. In the law... Of Moses, you could not be a king and a priest at the same time. You could only be a priest or a king. In fact, when Saul offered a sacrifice, that was the the reason why he lost the kingdom. That's when Samuel came and tore his little garment off of him and said, today the kingdom has been torn from you and your family's all going to die. And you're going to die, and everything's going to go bad. He didn't say tomorrow, right? And then he immediately went out and anointed David. And he anointed David. He messiahed David at his father's house, at Jesse's house, you know, and anointed him as king. Now, he had to then grow after that when he defeated Goliath. And after that, you know, he got, um, he got pursued by Saul for many, many years. So he had to buy faith for many, many years. And that's also a picture of the Christ, right? Because for many, many years, Jesus has been waiting till he is put as king in, in the actual throne, right? He has, he's been anointed as king, but, and he's been given the kingship, but he's not allowed to rule it yet in full force. So he's just doing good things. Like David just went around and did good things. And the whole time he's being pursued by Saul to be killed and be harmed. And so, so is Christ in his body. Satan is constantly pursuing. So that's all a picture of the Christ. The whole Testament is a big picture of everything is a picture of the Christ in some respect. There's some aspect that is pointing to some reality in the future that's going to take place from those points forward. So everything points forward. It's all just a picture. That's why it says heaven is, a, is the real and the earth is the shadow. So everything that's going on through the law and all this stuff, all the kings and all the whatnots, is just setting up for the real. Like it's a big game to point to how the future and the Messiah is going to be. Right? And so there you go. Any other questions on that? Sure. In regards to the um, jewels.
Correct. That Satan had embedded in Yes. Nine. Nine, not twelve. Twelve. Right. And the significance of the three that he did not have. Well, it, it's not the significance of the three he didn't have. It's the significance of the nine that he did. The, the twelve stones that the high priest had represented the twelve tribes of Israel. Right? So each one of those areas represent a, a, a district of authority. Right? A family group. So, and the head was the father. So it'd be Judah or Levi or whoever, right? Or whoever was the next guy in line after they died. So the head was the, the, the dad, the grand, granddad or whatnot. On the 12? By the way, he didn't only wear 12. The high priest wore three on his shoulders, I think, to represent God. Yeah. So the three, boom, boom, boom. And there were more stones that represented God on, on him. This is just a curiosity. It's not really that important. Other than a lot of times, then once the Levites get established as the priesthood, then when they do the twelve tribes, they separate Joseph into two. Where it's um, that's because one was cursed and was thrown away, and because they God God had to curse an entire tribe and then replace them by separating Joseph's into two. two. Yeah. But the 12 on the ephod would be including Levi. Like it would be the 12. Yes, so Levi is obviously part of it, including, right. Brothers. In the same way, Satan's, Satan's um, group called the serpents, if you will. That time that wasn't a bad word in, in the beginning, right? It was just a night, the cherubs, the seraphs, the whatever. The, but, but he was part of his angels. That's why he has angels. He's the ark angel, right? So he has his district. Um, Correct. I mean, that would be the ideal is that, there's, that he represents. There's nine realms of authority or, or districts of authority governed by particular angels. Like Michael would be one. Gabriel's called an archangel. Raphael, I believe, is called an archangel. Satan was an archangel. So you have archangels. So he had apparently nine. We don't know all the nine, but we, there were nine. And so he was rep over that. Now, or there's something else there, or there's like maybe uh, when God created the man, he grouped him into it somehow, right? Obviously, because Satan felt just to demand that God bring justice upon mankind. So he felt his authority expanded outside of just heaven, but also to the earth that he made. Uh, Jonathan? Uh, what is the ark and archangel? Ark just means ruling. Ark is a Greek word for ruler. Uh, it means arch, literally, but it's, it just means um, ruling angel, or ruler in the Greek, ruler. Archon often is, a, is, a, is the accusative form of, of ark or you know, angel. So that would be, um, the significance is, is that there's, there were nine districts or of authority that he was over that represented all of, of heaven in a way. Uh, heaven and whatever else God made that he was uh, overseeing the implementation of the law in respect to those. So that's what it represented. So that's why it was nine and not 12. 